Hello, and welcome to NACIO Voices, a podcast where we talk all things state IT. I'm Amy Glasscock, coming to you from NACIO headquarters in Lexington, Kentucky. And I'm Matt Pincus here in Washington, D.C. This is our inaugural episode, and we'll be hearing from our new NACIO president, Eric Boyette. This is the first time we have done a podcast, and hopefully it won't be the last. We'll be interviewing state CIOs and other state IT staff, strategic partners, and our colleagues right here at NACIO. We'll also have overviews of new NACIO publications, conference, webinar, and event previews, and we'll answer all of your FAQs. We look forward to providing you with regular, new, and exciting content that you can listen to on your commute, at the gym, or on the go. So please go ahead and subscribe. As Matt said, for our first episode, we'll be talking with our newly elected President Eric Boyette, Secretary and State Chief Information Officer for the North Carolina Department of Information Technology. Eric, welcome to NACIO Voices, and thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you, Amy. Thank you for having me. Eric, yeah, thanks for joining us, and we want to dive in and ask you a few different questions about your role as CIO in North Carolina, as well as your priorities and major initiatives, not only in the Tar Heel State, but also for NACIO. However, uh, before getting to those questions, I'd like to turn back the clock just a little bit. So you've been in state government for 20 plus years. Was this by accident or design? Uh, can you tell us your story of how you got here? Sure. It, it's actually, made it's kind of funny. Uh, when I graduated from college, uh, you know, with a business degree and I had a track in information systems, I was looking actually to work at a bank. Um, and I actually had a friend of mine that needed some like part-time help uh, with an agency at is actually DOT. And I said, sure, I'll, you know, I'll come look at it. And it was a temporary role. And I actually enjoyed, you know, the public sector side. So I, I guess you would say I got bit by the public sector bug. And from there, I just, you know, just decided that's what I wanted my career to be. And I've been very fortunate and very, very fortunate. And I love uh, the path I've taken to get to the point I'm at now. Um, I've had a lot of different roles within uh, Department of Transportation that, you know, you wouldn't think of a state CIO of having. Uh, but it's really helped me understand the business, uh, which has helped me as a CIO uh, be successful. And so for 20 plus years, you know, what keeps you staying in state government? You know, what's that draw for you? To me, it's, it's what we do for our residents and our citizens. You know, it's that end result that, you know, as a state government entity, you know, it's our role to provide for our citizens, depending on what agency you're with. Uh, it's just that. In the mornings you get up, you know, everyone has a certain objectives they want to achieve. And for me, it's always been how do I make our state better and what can we do? What services do we deliver that we can actually provide better for our citizens? And how can I do that? What piece of that puzzle do I have that I can help, you know, make that better? So moving a little bit more to the present, you've been CIO for about two and a half years now. Tell us about some of your major initiatives in North Carolina as CIO. Sure. So. Honestly, the first one, if if I didn't say this, I think we all know my chief risk officer, uh, Maria Thompson. If I didn't say this, the word cybersecurity at least two times during this uh, podcast, I'd be in trouble. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah. but it's honestly, it, cybersecurity is one of the things that, you know, we really wanted to focus on. As a deputy here, I noticed there was, you know, a need. And then as the CIO, I really wanted to make sure that Maria had what she needed to do her job and her team needed what they needed, the resources they needed. Uh, I don't think we're complete, but I think we're further along than we ever have been. 
but we were really trying to focus more around cybersecurity and training and how do we reach our locals and not as a big brother, but a partner. You know, we were really pushing the partnerships uh, with our local communities and our counties and what can we do better and provide options that they may not be aware of that we can bring to the table to help them if they have a crisis or to help them prepare you know, and plan so they can defend before a crisis. And one of the other activities that we've worked on was procurement. I don't want to say procurement reform because that's not really what we had. We had good statutes that were in place. I just don't think we had educated our staff on how to actually use those statutes and what options were, new options were available. So we really educated our procurement teams, uh, brought in Patty Bowers of our lead, our procurement director, to really push those forward. And we've gotten a lot of improvements. We're still a couple of steps that we want to change, but we really have better procurement paths than we've had in our state before, especially in our IT area. And one of the reasons I know is, you know, I walked over to our general assembly and asked, okay, give me the pain points that you're hearing in our governor's office. And most of them were around procurement. So Mm -hmm. after we made some changes, I checked back in and said, okay, how are we doing? And they were like, Eric, we're not hearing complaints. So whatever you're doing, continue to do. That's great. So, yeah, it was awesome. And of course, workforce development, you know, we really have to look at, you know, with technology changes and what we're all going through with our infrastructure, with our software, everything that we're looking at as far as the changes in tech, we've got to be able to train our you know, and help our workforce change and our staff change. Uh, we've done some things here. One of the quickest things I could do, I offered Gartner licensing to all of our employees at different levels. And then we bought portal sites so we could do some training on the job training and then, you know, allow our employees to train, you know, themselves and foster a, a culture that pushes for that training. And we've really been proud of that. And then the last thing really for me would be broadband expansion. That's something that the governor and I talked about with our state. Uh, we really have rural areas of our state, east and west, that we need to focus on to ensure that we're covering, you know, our residents and giving them the same opportunities that, you know, our urban areas have. Okay. Just to piggyback a little bit on one of those, you talked about workforce, and I believe that's something that overlaps with your priorities as NASIO president. So could you speak to some of the challenges of the IT workforce, not only in North Carolina, but nationally as well, and some initiatives that you think we should be highlighting to pave the way for the next generation of IT professionals? Sure. If you look across all of our states, when I talk to my peers and, you know, obviously with our NASIO, you know, work groups that we have and just the ability to communicate with each other and we call them those, um, those lean on each other sessions. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, it is, it's not just North Carolina. Many of my peers have some of the same issues and challenges in front of them. I know this was one that James Collins and I talked about a lot. What, what does that future workforce look like and how do we prepare now for the future of tech and prepare our staff. What does that look like? What do we need to be doing now with the new adoption of you know the technologies that are coming you know rapidly towards us? We need to understand better how can we help? What can we do and how do we prepare our staff and how do we augment our staff? What does that look like? So Eric in, in North Carolina the CIO is a cabinet level official. From your perspective, how does that change the role of a CIO? Because not every state CIO is a cabinet official. And tagging on that, can you also give a few examples about your collaboration with some of the other state agencies and those interactions in your state? Sure, Matt. It really 
honestly, as you said, I've been around state government for 20 years and I've seen the IT department grow. And this position being elevated to a cabinet level position has really helped create better partnerships with you know the peers at a cabinet level and also being able to work with the governor one-on-one about initiatives to explain the importance of IT, that it's not just this position, if you want to call it the IT director of old, it's not just when your phone doesn't work or you, you know, your tablet or your PC doesn't come on, this is the person you call. It's more about having that boardroom approach of here's the blueprint, here is what IT services will do for our state economically, through healthcare, through education, the different areas that we can look at, agriculture. So being able to be at that table and explain those things, not only around the table, but one-on-one with the governor and the General Assembly has really, really elevated this position and shown the importance of, you know, all of our IT needs. But, you know, if you talk about our interactions and partnerships, there's three really that I can think of quickly would be, one of them is our Department of Environmental Quality. The Secretary there, Secretary Regan, was really very, very involved. They're one of our consolidated or optimized agencies. We're trying to get better visibility into enterprise approaches across their agency instead of a siloed approach within their units. And we sit down and talk with him and his leadership staff, and they were very supportive. They understood. They trusted the CIO that we had over there and really moved forward and supported it, even so much to say, hey, we'll we'll fund some of these efforts. So that was one. Obviously, with DOT, I have a long-standing relationship with Secretary Trogdon and working on, you know, with DMV initiatives that he had there and also broadband when we did the dig once policy. So if they've got roadway that are new roadway, we can put in conduit, you know, fiber, prepare for the future of our broadband expansion. Um, and just being allowing that the same effort that you see with the CIO, you know, with the state CIO at the table with the governor, having the CIO at the table with his leadership team. And probably the last is probably the one I work with hand in hand more than anyone else is Secretary Hooks with our public safety. Being he is our Homeland Security Advisor, he and I work, you know, hand in hand with, you know, between election security, cyber defense and just your Homeland Security needs. Uh, we we really have a great partnership there with our National Guard, our SBI, and all the different enforcement agencies that is under his authority. And I do not think we would have those partnerships if this position wasn't at a cabinet level. It would be to may have a partnership, but not at the same level we have today. Do you think that that was a conscious decision from from Governor Cooper? Was there was there a lot of advocacy behind? Uh, elevating the state CIO to a cabinet level officer? Sure. It was previous administrations that had talked about and worked through some language and legislation. It came about with the, a lot of states call it different things, but the consolidation of the agency ITs under one agency. And, you know, the previous administration saw that that was a, you know, good thing for us to do. And obviously Governor Cooper, you know, echoed that and said, you know, we definitely need to keep this moving and continue down this path. It was really about, I'll use transportation. You have an agency that is focused on delivering roads, delivering goods back and forth safely throughout our our network. So we need to do the same thing with our IT infrastructure. He understood that very quickly uh, when we had a conversation and it it was evident that he supported it. 
and wanted us to make sure that we can be the best IT infrastructure and leader that we can, the best that we can do. Eric, I think it's always interesting for our members, especially other CIOs, to hear about the construct and organization of different state IT offices. So can you tell us a little bit about yours? What's the size of your department? How many employees do you have? The organizational model, budget? Sure, sure. We can do that. That's um, it's it's growing, <laughs> as you all know. As we optimize um, employees, we're at about twelve hundred employees to date. Uh, we have about six hundred that we will be optimizing by the end of June twenty twenty to finalize our optimization plan. And you know, our department is varied. We really have a a mix of a true line staff, and we also have a few uh, matrix areas. Uh, one of the matrix areas would be some of the Security staff currently does not report directly to Maria. Uh, that's an example of how that we've done a matrix area on that. Our organization is very different if you look at an IT organization because we have a 911 board. I actually chair that board. We have HIE, the Health Information Exchange. We have a broadband office, our GDAC, obviously, with our data analytics center. I have my own finance team. I have my own procurement team. And for procurement, we manage all the IT procurements in the state. And I have my own audit team and HR team. So we really have a large organization, but it's very IT-centric and IT-focused. You know, now with the, with the optimization, we manage the um, transportation. We manage public safety, environmental quality, natural and cultural resources, our Department of Administration military and veterans affairs and state human resources, all of their IT needs. You know, we have grown drastically over the past year and a half. And what I'm proud about is the fact that we haven't broken their business. That was the business model that I know when Chris Estes was in this role, he and I talked about a lot. When we did this optimization, we were not going to break the business. And we have continued that and made sure that our, you know, our agencies know that we're not building an empire. We want to make sure that you focus on your businesses and let us focus on your IT needs. And it's worked very well for us. Our budget is at around $600 million currently. And that is some of our, it's a mix of our appropriations and our services uh, that we receive receipt based from. That's another area that we work each and every day around what do we do better with our budget. Yeah, Eric. So given that cybersecurity has been the long running top issue for NASIO, and we know that many states are adopting or have adopted a whole of state approach involving you know, agencies and, and National Guard and Homeland Security advisors uh, when dealing with cyber. Can you talk about some of the efforts that you've taken in North Carolina specifically to help under-resourced local counties and smaller local governments in, in North Carolina? Sure, absolutely. So you know, we, like I mentioned earlier, with our partnership with uh, Secretary Hooks, with the National Guard specifically, we've just had an, an attack in one of our counties that hit one of the public school systems there. And it's probably one of the biggest ones we've had to actually roll out help and work with the communities. We had between a mix of our National Guard, our DIT staff, our local uh, government organization that helps us as well. And some of the the staff from the school system, everybody was there on site working to remediate their needs, basically start over and help them get to a point where they could be operational again. And the partnership we have, we have an MOU with our National Guard so that 
you know, we can call them when we need them and our state can respond. And we also have, you know, with our emergency management team, it allows us to spin up any of our resources that we need very quickly. I think that was one of the biggest achievements from our teams as a whole that we saw. And the superintendent from that county was very appreciative. She was six months into her job. So, you know, having these resources at her fingertips, I think it took a burden off of her that in the past may not have happened. And I'm not sure when those children could have taken their tests online again and they could have it's sent some simple as phone calls, you know, because it's all telephony based phone calling. So all of that was damaged and we had to come in and it was a great team effort. And that's what I love to talk about that team effort. And so just picking up on on what you're talking about as far as teamwork with the National Guard, there's been a lot of conversation here in D.C. about how involved the National Guard should be when it comes to state and local cybersecurity issues such as ransomware. And so what are you doing? And you said that you guys have an MOU uh, with the Guard. So are they basically being used as a force multiplier when it comes to cybersecurity? I mean, can you dive into a little bit of the specifics about that relationship and when they're used and when they're not? Sure. They're, I mean, they are, they are force multiplier and they're actually, they can be hands on the ground, you know, boots on the ground. As soon as we know there's an event, obviously we don't have a large enough staff here. We can augment through some contract resources, but they're basically our front line. When we send our guardsmen down, our guards ladies down, they're the first ones that tell us they report back. Obviously, after we have federal resources do the reviews and do their baselines, but they actually are in the process of understanding where, like for this instance, you know, they had a flat network and they said, okay, the first thing we need to do is prioritize what systems and what areas are we bringing up first? You know, on the safety side with public safety, we need to bring the phone systems up first. And then they start that triage and they start that remediation and repair. And then we follow that lead and work as a team to get the ransomware attack victim at back to where they need to be, back operational. So they are the lead. They come in very strong. We're very fortunate to have that partnership. And Matt, we also are using them currently in a, I think it's a 10 member team to go out and canvas our counties in preparation for the 2020 election. So they're out now doing that ahead of the 2020 election. We started in beginning of the year and we had a couple storms come through. <laughs> so we had to pause, but they're also doing that for us as well. So they are very active with us in our cyber approach and our cyber defense in North Carolina. So for the election election preparation, are you talking about primarily they're doing penetration testing of, of election systems? They're doing that. They're doing uh, just walkthroughs for physical security as well and just total assessments. If you want to look at pen testing is one side of it, but just a full assessment of where the county is and where they should be is very detailed and it's good for us to have, you know, we have the Homeland Security uh, testing as well, but it's also good to have, you know, some boots on the ground to go through one-on-one with the counties and help them remediate anything that we find. For sure. I just wanted to ask you um, about customer relationship management. NASIO actually had CRM as 
part of the top 10 list for 2019. CIOs have started thinking that that's uh, something that they've had to focus on more. And when we say customers, we're talking about those agency relationships uh, between the central IT office and the agencies. And I believe North Carolina, in your department, you actually have a chief customer officer. Is that right? That is correct. So tell me a little bit about why you have that role and why you feel it's important. So honestly, it came twofold. We left a senior leadership meeting and Tracy and I were walking back to our offices and yeah, it's made a statement. I said, I feel like we're not communicating internally. And if we're not communicating well internally, I know we're not communicating well with our customers. And she and I sat down and talked about it and looked at some of the private space and federal space and saw the chief customer officer and um, John Minshew our chief customer officer. And we tasked him with not only making us better at communicating internally, sharing, but also ensuring that our customers understand that he can be the VIP voice for them. If they have issues, they can call him directly. We do have a business relationship team that works with our agencies one-on-one. They meet monthly to go over any issues they may have or things that we're doing good that we need to replicate in other agencies. So it has been a good model for us, um, and John does a great job of ensuring that once he knows, we all know, which has been really good. And having him, we actually elevated him. He sits at the senior leadership team. He sits at the table with us. So as we talk about activities, he understands what's going on. So if, if there's a void somewhere, he does a great job of ensuring that that void is filled quickly. Yeah, and I've talked to John, and he seems really passionate about the work that he's doing there. So. Yeah. Yeah. Is that uh, something that you would recommend to other CIOs that they fill that role? I do. I I can tell you, Amy, from the first day I stepped in this job and hearing calls and concerns about different things that were going on in the agencies. And you got to think we also service universities and we do have some counties that we uh, service. So I was getting a lot of calls. And after this, I'll be honest with you, with John in place, uh, the number of calls I get about those have really decreased. and I get a lot of calls now about positives. You know, it may not be John. It may be someone that John said, it's not my area, it's this area, but we can relate that now to a team member and the service owner and get them engaged quickly, uh, a lot quicker than we did in the past. That's fantastic. Oh, what is that sound? That means, Eric, it is time for the lightning round. So (laughs) for the first few minutes of this podcast, you've been getting asked some uh, very hard-hitting questions. And uh, we're going to step it up a notch right here. So I'm going to ask you uh, some questions and rapid fire answers. First thing that comes to your mind, I'm sure all of our members want to know, what is your favorite food? I really love a filet, a steak filet. That is my favorite food. You can't go wrong with that. What TV show are you watching right now? This is one I guarantee nobody will actually guess. Blacklist. It's my favorite show. I'm sure we have a lot of members who are watching the show. Um, (laughs) I am a viewer as well. Um, (laughs) What music are you listening to? Uh, Favorite band? Uh, Uh, What's what's on Eric's Spotify right now? So this is a hard one. I don't really have a favorite. I love all types of music. If you look at my radio channels, they're they're all over. They're mixed. So I can't say I have a favorite. Okay, that's a very political answer. Very very political answer. Uh, 
<laughs> I've been at this job a long time. <laughs> <laughs> You've learned well, my friend. Uh, and final question in the lightning round, your favorite place to vacation? I would say that would have to be Emerald Isle. It's a beach uh, location here in North Carolina. Uh, I love it. It's a great place for us to go. And I can actually, I know people don't think I do it, but I may turn my phone off every now and then. And that would be where. A lot of good vacation spots in North Carolina, for sure. Uh, Eric, we want to thank you again for joining us today and especially for being brave enough to be our first guest. We hope you'll come back sometime. I will. Thank you, Amy. Thank you, Matt. Thanks, Eric. We appreciate it. Thanks. All right. That is a wrap on the first ever episode of NASIO Voices. Thanks for listening. In two weeks, we'll have our next episode, an interview with NASIO's own Eric Sweden. We'll be talking about the NASIO Top 10. If you want to make sure you don't miss it, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, or ask your digital assistant to play NASIO Voices Podcast.